So I feel like, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's never a guarantee no matter what you do. Right. So you can work for a big corporation, right. And you can feel secure. You, you, again, in my opinion, that's just, you know, this perception, right. That you have this secure job and there's nothing wrong with working for, you know, big corporate companies. Right. But you have this perception of stability. Okay. You can, you can build something and you can build something big enough where you then have this perception of stability. There's risk in both, both directions. Like, right? you, I mean, neither one of those scenarios has any type of guarantee, right? The difference for me is, is if, if I'm running my business and if there's a problem, I at least know about it, right? And I like the fact that if there's issues, it's not being hidden from me. And so if there's a problem, I'm aware, and now I have the power to decide how do you move from here, right? Where, again, and this is, this is my perception because I've never been in the corporate world. My perception is, is I don't like the idea of working for a big company and I think everything's good. And, and the reality is, is at least from what I've heard just my whole life and, and you know, when things happen, and I even have a scenario, again, based on the freeze, you know, when you're an employee, everything's good, even when it's not good, you're, you're being told everything's good, right? Until that day that you find out, oh, oh, okay, I don't have a job anymore. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. And for more information on this episode, you can go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. And then you can click on podcasts. You can click on from podcasts, download this episode or other episodes through Spotify, through Amazon, through iTunes, YouTube. And then you can go down and click read more for when I have incredible guests like today, Noe Niavis. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, I actually pronounced your name right, didn't uh, I? You did well. I did well. Hey. Believe, I get, I get, so look, my name is spelled N-O-E with an accent over the E, right? I get, I'll tell you this, my pastor at church, no joke, he knows me, right? Where I'm not like some stranger. I could see him and he's going to call me Noe. <laughs> 20 minutes later, he might call me Noah. And he'll, he'll call me Noe, right? He gets it right sometimes. But it's just, it's not normal for the same person to have so many variations, right? But I get everything under the sun. It doesn't offend me. It's just, yeah, you know, it but, is what it but is. But then he follows up with, hey, I got your name wrong, but you're still tithing, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But no, so yeah, name, name issues is nothing new. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Hey, I get it. Having a last name spelled S-P-A-N-N can be chopped up into so many different things. In fact, when I was in the Marine Corps, one of my drill instructors didn't even enunciate my name the right way throughout the whole entire process, but I wasn't there to correct a drill instructor. It was there to murder me anyway. So I was just like, hey, dude, you can, you can call me whatever. They did call us other names too. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, lots I'm of sure. them. So we start these out. My father-in-law says, you got to do a joke. Okay. All right. And my jokes are historically bad on purpose. Hey, I might, I might try to save it mentally so you I can mean? tell my son later. All right. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. What is the chef's 
favorite thing to do? <clears throat> I don't I feel like you're about to get me with something. I don't know. Cut the cheese. <laughs> you, so I'll say this. My son would enjoy that joke. <laughs> if they could talk potty jokes all day long. My son, both my boys, so eight and five, right? And then I have a baby girl and she's 15 months yesterday. What is today? Yes, yesterday she was 15 months. But both of my boys, eight and five, they there will be a movie right that they're watching and there will either be a some type of potty joke something that they think is hilarious and what do you think they do laughing rewind rewind <laughs> and they're gonna watch again and they're gonna laugh just as hard the second time and if we don't stop them they'll probably try to go for a third time and they will just it's like oh my gosh look i get it i get it it was funny they will do that all day long they think it's just the funniest thing on the planet yeah. So he, my, my oldest for sure would love that joke. So it was really funny is this last weekend. So we record these episodes in bulk mm-hmm. and then that way we can have time to prep them, edit them and then get them in the pipeline to drop each week. And so this last weekend, birthday weekend, I went up to see one of my very close friends that I did my MBA with at TCU and he's got a daughter that's two and we're sitting here watching. He goes, Hey, we're going to turn on Lion King. Of course, that takes me back to remembering my daughter who's now 20 Lion King, the animated version. Mm-hmm. This was Lion King, the CGI version. And I was like, what? We got like, it looks like a real life lion and he's talking. Yeah. Like this is not animated version. And I was sitting there going, man, that's being an empty nester. You get disconnected from how far things have advanced technology wise. Yeah. That you're looking at this going, when you said Lion King, so I, I, I watched the whole thing because so, I was sitting there going, hey, man, I've seen this. You know, it is having kids, right? You don't watch a movie once. Mm-hmm. You watch it a million times. And I was sitting there like, I just can't believe the, the graphics in this thing. So yeah. movies have come a long ways. It yeah. is. I mean, even something like, you know, they watched this recently is Aladdin, right? And my boys will watch the original Aladdin and they like the new one, right? So the new one has Will Smith as the genie. I mean, it came out a couple years ago, right? But it's just, you know, we think of these old original movies and that are still cool for kids to watch, but, you know, some of them have been remade and, the, and these new versions are just crazy compared to what we grew up with. Or even know? the TV shows and movies you and I watched when we were young, which nobody will play them now because of current environments might be seen as, oh, that's offensive. And mm-hmm. we were like, we yeah, had no idea that was a fish. Back then. We just thought we just thought it was funny. Well, and it's just, one of the things that I think of too is is the number of things that I watched when I was younger and now seeing them as a parent. I'm like, how the heck did my parents let me watch that thing? <laughs> right? You know, it's like you know because you didn't you weren't catching some of those jokes and some of those yeah. underlying you know kind of things that were happening. You just thought it was, you know, it was just, you're yeah. looking at it very surface, right? And now when I, I'm like, oh my gosh, how was I allowed to watch that, right? But, but yeah, it's just funny. You, 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 your perspective changes so much, you know, when you are now turning into that like dad role, right? Compared to just, you know, when you're a kid, you want to do everything under the sun. And then when you look at that same thing with a different perspective, yeah, it's just nuts. I mean, I was, I was a crazy kid. My, you know, my boys wanted to skateboard the other day in front of the house. And now you better believe I make them put elbow pads, knee pads, their helmet. I never wanted to wear that stuff when I was little. 
ever, <laughs> right? But heck yeah, you're going to put on those pads because, <laughs> you know, you fall off the skateboard on concrete and your knees all gashed up and they're crying, you know, so you're, 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 you, you, your role changes, right? When you're yeah. sitting there looking at it from this other perspective, because when you're a kid, you don't want to wear pads. Yeah. But when you're the dad, you're like, no, you can't ride your board. Go get your pads and then you can ride, you know? Yeah. But it's just so funny. It's so funny how this stuff changes. And and a car actually passed by the other day and stopped and said, "Hey, Dad, where's where are your pads at?" Well, I don't wear any. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to wear the pads, but they do. <laughs> You're like one. I'm not going to try to go nearly as fast as they go. <laughs> so yes, it's 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 funny how it's funny how those things how those things change. So speaking of changing perspectives, yeah. Where are you from? Tell me tell me about your journey of. Where are you from and how you got to where you're at now? Yeah, so, you know, the biggest thing that I can think of if we really wanted to start the story early, right, is my dad is, is a physician, okay? He has his own practice. And I've remembered my entire life that I liked that my dad controlled his schedule, right? My dad hasn't had a boss. He sees his own patients, but he has not built a business in the sense of, anybody generating revenue for him, right? And so I remember being a kid, and if we wanted to go out of town on a trip, my dad could schedule it, right? Like it wasn't a big, he didn't ask to have, ask for permission, right? Just we could plan it. And not that he talked about it often, but I always remembered that when we were on vacation, he didn't make any money, right? Again, it wasn't something that he emphasized but it was something that I caught and it just, I just always knew that. Right. And so he could choose his schedule, but anytime that he wasn't at work, the money stopped. Right. And so I always thought, okay, how do I, how do I do something like my dad did? How do I control my schedule, be my own boss? Cause I loved that he had that control, but how do I, do something to where everything doesn't shut down the minute that you're at the house in Colorado or at the beach, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, how do you create something where you control, control your kind of work life, but it doesn't have to just stop the minute you're not at your desk. Right. Yeah. And so that was kind of always, that was always kind of a driving force for me. And I, I never really knew how I was going to do that. And, and another funny story that I always, it just, I think these things hit me young and I always knew, I, look, I'll be honest. I probably do have authority issues, right? Maybe a lot of us entrepreneurs <laughs> do. I don't, I don't, I don't love the idea of somebody just telling me what to do all day. I don't know. It's just, I have issues with that. Not to say that it has to be a bad thing, but it's, I don't know. I don't know. What, I, I've got problems, right? But so I remember watching the movie Hook as a kid, right? And if you remember in that movie, if you've seen it, Robin Williams was this executive, right? Everything that it showed, it didn't show a lot of his kind of work life, but it led you to believe that he was a successful businessman, right? Look, seemed like he made a lot of money, but he had no control, zero control. He wanted to go to his son's baseball game. He told his son he was going to go to the son's baseball game and he gets a phone call from his boss and his boss says, hey, I need you to hop on a plane or whatever it was. I forget some of the details, but he was told by boss you can't go to your son's game because I need you to go do this. Thing. I need you to go close this deal. You have to work, right? 
So again, I see those things. Okay, you have a successful guy. He makes good money, but he doesn't have control. That's where my problem was, right? Like, I don't want to be the guy that maybe is successful and I can't go to my son's game. If my son's got a game, I want to be there. How old were you when, would you say, just ballpark? I mean, easily like in elementary school and junior high, I thought about those things. Yeah. For some reason, I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't like this idea that some guy on the other end of this phone is telling him that he can or cannot go to his son's game. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. And you kind of know that that's reality. I just knew that I didn't want that to be my reality. Right. Yeah. And so moving in, moving into the business world, while I was going to school, I was managing a smoothie factory, right? Smoothie factory franchise, right? It's kind of like a combination of like a smoothie king and a GNC. So half the business uh, was like sports nutrition, vitamins, protein, bars, you know, all this stuff, right? And then you had the smoothie side of the business. And so it was never my intention to get into that business. But, you know, when you do something long enough, you're like, hey, I kind of know this thing, right? I know... I handle orders. I know, you know, you, you, you learn the business, right? Even if you weren't waking up trying to learn the business, you just do because you're, you're showing up every day, right? And so I had the opportunity to buy the location that I was working at. And I couldn't, I won't get into that whole, the whole scenario, but we couldn't make a deal work, right? And through that, my brain was now intrigued, right? Oh, well, maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's my first business role, right? And so instead of buying that location because we couldn't make a deal, I opened up a store in South Lake. And so the interesting thing that I learned through this whole deal, and and again, we kind of go through just kind of learning, right? You're always kind of figuring out what you want. How do I get to this end goal? And I loved the customer aspect. I mean, that's what drove me, right? I'm a relationship guy. I can run my mouth all day long, right? And so I loved, I mean, I kind of felt like I was a barber, right? People would come in. I knew what their kids' names were. I knew what high school kid was dating so-and-so. I mean, people would just come in and talk, right? I just, it's like people would just come and spill everything that's going on in their lives while we're sitting there making them smoothies, right? And so we got to a point where some customers would come in and if I had staff there, you know, they'd be making smoothies and I'd go sit down with a customer and just talk for half an hour because that's just what we, you know, that's just what we did. And so we were in the sports nutrition and smoothie business, but, but what drove me every day was just serving our customers and just building those relationships, right? I was single, didn't have any kids, and I worked insane hours, partially because I chose to. I think I, I, I realized in myself that it was very difficult for me to pass off too much responsibility, you know, to high school and college kids, knowing that I had a lot of money invested in this physical store, right? You know, product can walk out the door, you know, smoothies can be given away. I'm sure, you know, if we went back this many years, I'm sure, you know, video cameras and those things were available, not nearly accessible as they are today. I did not have, you know, this big security system set up. You know, but I just had trouble. What I learned about myself was, is when you have brick and mortar and you have physical assets, right? It, it was very difficult for me to let go. I learned that I did not want to be the guy that had half a dozen locations. I don't care where they were located. It was one of those things. I learned about myself that 
if the store was open and I was not at that store, I just couldn't relax for some reason. I couldn't let it go, even though nothing was wrong, right? It was just, I just couldn't enjoy my free time, my personal time, if the business was open. Because I'm just always wondering, are we going to run out of cash, right? Are, are enough people going to come in with $20 bills that we run out of fives, right, on a Sunday? It's just a weird thing to think about. But those are the things that I would think about on a Sunday afternoon, right? Are we going to run out of cash? Are we going to, you know, you just, you just never know. And so my brain could never shut down unless I knew the store was closed, right? And so I then knew, okay, I love certain things about this business. I don't, I, this is not a long-term play for me. It can't be, right? Because again, if you go back to my driving force with where I wanted my life to be with the family, I knew that was not going to provide that environment for me, right? Even if you could make money, it just wasn't what I was looking for. And so I loved a lot of those aspects. And as I transitioned into different things, I, again, I won't go into every, every little detail, but I would say about 14 years ago, I got a phone call from a buddy that we had looked at a number of different ventures. And he said, hey, I need you to, I need, I need you know, can you meet for dinner? I want to introduce you to somebody. We're starting an energy brokerage. You know, I want to see what you think. And the, we had been in, in contact because I was looking for, hey, what's the new venture, right, at this, at this particular time? So I jumped on it. We met. And, and I knew right away, I was like, man, I love this. You know, I had, I, had, I had had several ventures at this point, and I'd always had the weight on my shoulders, you know. And before this point, I had looked at, am I going to start a valet company, right? Because I had identified, oh, you know, there seems good opportunity. And again, it always came back to, is this the right fit, right? Can you, can you make money? Yeah, making money is one thing. But then I didn't like the fact of, okay, well, you know, what if, you know, what if one of our drivers, you know, bumps into a car at 1 a.m.? Who's, whose phone is going to ring, right? Again, you can have managers in place. You can have these different things. But at the end of the day, I didn't like the, the way that that particular business could interrupt my family life, right? And so I just kept looking. I had, I had logos designed. I knew what the name was going to be. I mean, I, I had figured out, okay, how much do you charge a condo building? How much do you then have to pay? You know I mean? I'd really broken as much down as I could before actually getting started, right? But at the end of the day, I knew it wasn't the right fit. When I got the phone call about the energy group, and I did have some previous oil and gas experience, and again, not going into it, but that, that previous energy background was part of what led to this phone call. And the other part was just having a relationship and then thinking that I could bring you know, certain value to the team. And so I loved the idea of having this team and not having everything on my shoulders. And so I was very intrigued. You know, we, we started this group, it was in North Dallas up in Uptown and, and things, things were going pretty good. I mean, the company was growing. I was managing reps in a handful of different states. And so again, when we go in, when, when I talk about energy, because this affects what I'm doing today is we're talking about negotiating electricity contracts, right? So not oil and gas, not, you know, no trading going on, but literally just brokering, brokering contracts for commercial customers. And so what I started to learn was, you know, my, my partner and, and really the number one in the company, which I was, I fell in kind of the number two spot. He was just this kind of hothead salesman. And I didn't see this right at the beginning, right? Because originally they're trying to bring me in, right? Yeah. So you see the nice, 
the nice the smiles and because again this guy was he was not the one that I had a relationship with it was a, it was the third guy that introduced the two of us right and and I just started to see characteristics that didn't align with how I like to do business and those characteristics were you know we I'll I'll leave this gentleman I'll call him John John is not his name but let's say John right John would be on the phone with one of our reps, maybe in New York, and they'd be talking about something. They'd hang up the phone, and that rep, literally 30 seconds later, my phone would ring. And it would be that rep. Hey, no way. I spoke to John. This is what he told me. What's the deal? Right? You see where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. Yep. Is he had this, it didn't matter who he dealt with, nobody believed what John said right? Because John was always pushing his agenda. He was always selling anybody that he was talking to. And no one trusted that what he said was just real, right? There was always, there was always some, some agenda going on. And so for whatever reason, even though all of those reps were part of our business because of John, nobody trusted him. So they, they, I think they all followed him enough because of the business opportunity, but somehow they identified quickly that I was the guy that they would call for just the honesty, right? Because I, again, I, I, I would hope that I don't come across that way because I'm just not that guy that's going to make up some story, right? And so what, where my troubles ended up coming with this group was I would put together a deal We'd negotiate with the providers. I put together a proposal that's good for the client. And in the brokerage world, providers do give brokers enough leeway to, you know, to feasibly take advantage of customers. Now, providers aren't doing that for the purpose of a broker taking, but they, they're, they're, there's leeway, right? Mm-hmm. And so it would almost be like if you were trying to sell a house and you have this normal commission rate. And let's say the state didn't, you know, didn't oversee that, right? And so let's say if, if, you were, if, if there was going to be a 3% commission rate, well, let's say you were allowed to charge them 10. And if you could get it done without the customer being upset about it, then you'd be allowed to do that, right? Well, that could be a problem, right? And so what would end up happening, I'd put together a proposal. John would see it. No, we, we're not making enough money. Right now he wants to change the proposal so we can increase our commission rate. And then now that he's done that, it's no longer a good deal. So then, then you're trying to sell our sales guy, trying to convince them that it's a good deal so that they can turn around and sell the deal to the customer. That's just not how I want to live my life, right? That's not, that's not good for me. I don't, we, we, you don't have to sit there and, you know, make every extra penny you can on a given customer to, 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 to build a business. You know, I think you can do good business and make your money off of, off of the volume. Right. And so that, that company really turned into a very toxic relationship. We didn't agree on anything. We both were codependent on each other, right? Because I ran the day-to-day operations and I was really, again, I was holding on to this idea of building this thing with a team. Right. And so I wasn't naturally trying to break off, which would have been my normal thought process. If I don't like something like I can do this better. Right. 
And so I really was trying to help build this company, but I would come home at this point. I'm married. I'd be in a bad mood because I've been arguing all day right now. I'm in a bad mood with my wife because, you know, it's just toxic. And so I came to the realization that I couldn't move the line. The line was not moving. And so I either had to deal with it or make a change. And I knew I couldn't deal with it, right? I'm not going to sit there and, you know, change, you know, my expectations of how I do business and how people see me. I'm not going to change my own ethics simply to not make a change in business. And so I really kind of came down to this, you know, this kind of internal conversation again, well, heck, what am I going to do now? Right? Do I go back to some of these ventures I looked at before? You know, I looked at starting an insurance agency, you know I mean? Just all these different things. And, and then I thought, well, heck, I've been, I've been running this energy group, right? That all the day, you know, I know all the big providers and all the contracts. I, knew, I mean, I've been doing all this. Heck, why don't I, you know, I could, I could do that, right? Now it was scary because, you know, again, I'm married. I've got a house. I've got, you know, responsibilities. And, and I knew it was, was going to hurt like hell, right? Because I didn't, when I decided I was going to break off, I didn't touch a single customer. I didn't touch a single sales guy. I mean, it was, that relationship was so toxic that I knew if I tried to do anything, right, it would, the amount of drama would just be insane. So it was, I mean, I just literally went to zero, right? Started from scratch. But mind you, I had just come out of a startup, right? So it's not like I was just making ridiculous money and had all this money just sitting in the bank waiting for me to go start a new venture. So as crazy as it was, in the days leading up to me leaving this group in Dallas, I was stopping by grocery stores on my way home, asking if they had openings for night stocking jobs. Isn't that crazy? So I'm stopping by in a suit, right? Nice suits. I'm pretty casual today, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, if you, when you've seen me, I've probably been in a suit. I'm not going to lie. You dress really well and my wife was like you should talk to noe about some some fashion tips and i was like i don't know if i can afford his wardrobe well you know the thing is is you know i'm just kind of old school my industry yeah. energy energy guys are not usually in suits right yeah. like that's it's not it's not definitely not required it's not expected it's just kind of what i choose to wear but i was literally stopping in these grocery stores talking to guys talking to these managers asking if they had any openings and they're just looking at me like what is going on here? This guy's walking in a grocery store in a suit asking if he can stock shelves in the middle of the night. Well, I was doing that because again, I had responsibilities. I needed to keep some cash coming in and I needed to start a new business and, and you know, bills had to get paid. And so it was just one of those things that probably for the first six months of when I started, so my company is currently Watermark Power Solutions. So we're going to hit 13 in August, 13 right? years, 13 years in August. And probably for the first six months of, of starting Watermark, I was stocking shelves at a Tom Thumb Sunday through Thursday, right? I was parking cars Friday night and Saturday night. So I was working seven nights a week and doing my Watermark business during the day. I was sleeping two to three hours. I mean, it, it eventually felt very unhealthy, which it was, <laughs> you know, popping energy pills and drinking drinks. I mean, it was just, it, it was, it was pretty rough, 
but it was it was necessary, right? Like that's just what was needed to do at the time. And so and so that's how we got Watermark started, right? I still to this day I feel kind of the same gratitude every time we get a new client. You know, it even though it was 13 years ago, I remember how much it sucked. You know, trying to get that business off the ground and and it's just kind of one of those things where i think when when you're a new business every deal is important right yeah and i've tried my best to keep that same appreciation for individual customers right because as you get bigger and as you have more business every deal isn't as important right i mean that's the reality when you're talking about survival it is not as important you may want that new business and obviously you always want to grow, right? Just like we were talking earlier about you growing your business. You always want to get bigger, but you closing that next deal for you today doesn't change your lifestyle, right? It's not going to affect whether you pay your mortgage. It's not going to affect whether you can buy groceries, right? And so it's, it's important to you because you're still trying to build your business, but it's not, if you're really going to compare, it's not, you, you don't appreciate it the same. Yeah. As when you really, really, really when you it. had to have it. Right. Or or taking on clients that you're like, I really don't want to take on this client because they're going to be a monster to deal with. But I I'll I'll deal with the brain damage that comes with it because like you said, you gotta survive. Yeah. And then you grow your business to a point where what I call the brain damage clients come along and you can look at them and say, We're not gonna be a fit together. Yeah. That's a liberating feeling when yeah. you can get there, right? Well, and true. And so, so let me ask you this, yeah. right? So when you, when you started your business, for, like from day one, how long do you think it took you to get your first referral? Not your first client, but your first, yeah. when you had a client that you've done business with and now that client has referred you somebody else, how long do you think it took you? It was, it, so I, I got licensed it was like September 29th or 30th of 2016. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I I had some advantages here because my wife and her parents owned a real estate company that had been bought by Sotheby's. Okay, they had sold to Sotheby's a year prior. My my wife had agreed to stay on for two years and manage that particular office. So I had some knowledge of the industry behind me that I I kind of already knew a little bit, right? And but it's funny you getting on this referral thing mm-hmm. is. So when I got licensed, I did a million in volume in my first 90 days. So in October, November, December of 2016. And I remember Laura saying, man, two more million and you would have been a top producer in Fort Worth. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> and, you know, just to give the audience an idea is 10% of the agents do 90% of the business. Okay. And there's 30, over 3,200 registered agents in the greater Fort Worth Association of Realtors. Wow. So, so if only 10% are doing 90% of the business, how do you keep people coming to the well? Mm-hmm. Is you give them a title top, you're a top producer because 90% of them are competing for the other 10% of the business. Yeah. And so I was like, so when I understood that concept of like, so you only have to do 3 million, which by the way, is closing a half a million dollar house every other month. So six I think math for Marines, right? Six half million dollar deals inside of a year is you're a top producer. And I was, I was baffled by this. Now the, the clients that I had gotten, I had one client that I was working phone duty 
And I was the guy that just answered the phone, mm-hmm. right? I had another one where Laura was working another deal and had somebody surface that was a referral from one of her other referrals and so forth. And she just kind of handed it off to me. So like I said, so I, I had a little luck in the very beginning there, but I'm going to back up further to that is when Sotheby's first acquisitioned Laura's company, Miravista Realtors back then, I went with Laura to what was called a G&E, Global Networking Event in Las Vegas, that May of 16, prior to that. And what fascinated me was not real estate, was not any of the other things other than understanding the concept of Sotheby's was about the referral network. So not just referrals, a client sending you somebody, but it was you sending other agents deals in other markets or those okay. agents in other markets sending you deals. And I was like, there's something on to here. And Sotheby's does over a hundred billion a year in transactions all around the globe. Mm-hmm. And 1% of that, 1 billion, I think it's like 1.2, 1.3, I can't remember the latest numbers, was referrals. Hmm. And I sat there and it, you know, like you're talking about, when you see the opportunities and you go, there's some opportunity here to take your position to grow it to a more higher level global perspective. Mm-hmm. So in that first six months of 2017, I was focusing on trying to say, hey, instead of saying, hey, if you want to buy a house in Fort Worth, I'm your guy, but I can also help you anywhere else. Instead, my message became, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, I'm going to make sure that you get the best professional. Oh, you need in Fort Worth. Well, it just so happens my team happens that, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I was six months into doing that and we, it was probably summer. So I'm probably nine, 12 months into this when it it was kind of, (laughs) kind of funny is the, I get a referral, not from the client I represented, which was the the phone call that I answered, Mm -hmm. but the house I helped him buy. The seller was very dissatisfied with his agent, but so impressed with what I did that he didn't call his agent with the referral. He called me. Hmm. And I was the feeling of getting that referral based on you're doing it right from someone that you did deals with is always a great feeling. But when it came from the person that was on the side didn't trust the person that represented them. Yeah. That, that sparked a fire in me that was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So that was, that, 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 that was it. And, and, and it really came down to was I was not only able to demonstrate of what I was willing to do for my client and how I did it, but it came down to that word that you've used several times is trust. You know, this guy, John, as we're saying, right? People didn't trust him, but they trusted you. And that's why we have a tagline that says, trust is the currency of business, yeah. not money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, because I'll tell you, it took me. So one of the reasons, and, and I mean, I, I believe I would appreciate referrals anyways, right? Yeah. But if I, had, if I had to guess, it probably took me a couple of years before I had enough clients to where they then had an opportunity to pass my name out to somebody else to where 
my phone was ringing because somebody was saying, hey, can you help me? As yeah. opposed to me going after the business, so right? So nothing but true organic growth yeah, up I mean, until that, right? You know, and so when you're sitting here and you're just putting in all this work, all this work, all this work, networking, meeting people, lunches, you're doing all these. And again, you might be getting business done, but I mean, it took it it took a significant period of time before my phone started ringing, right? So when my phone rang for that first time and somebody's calling me saying, hey, hey, no way, so-and-so told me to call you. Can you help me? Of course I can help you. But inside, I'm just like, wow. I made it. Like that's, I yeah. mean, that's awesome, right? Because again, you don't get that phone call unless you've done all of these other steps and you've probably had to do all these other steps over and over and over before eventually it leads to that, that one phone call, right? And so obviously now referrals is a huge part of my business, but it's only there because we've proven it, right? We've proven to our clients that, I mean, it's just blown my mind. And this was years ago. I had a guy that called me, you know, slightly after hours, right? On a Friday. But the fact that he called me, and this was not, it's not like you just have a high maintenance client who just bugs you all the time for no reason, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy calls me on a Friday, a little bit late in the day, and it was out of character. So my thought is, he must need something, right? Let me at least call him back and see what's going on. And because even if he needed something, most likely I wouldn't be able to fix it anyways, because everybody's going to be closed at that point. Encore is not going to be completing any orders. You know, they're, they're not, they're not, you know, turning customers on or off over the weekend, but I just felt the need, you know, this is, you know, he called me. I need to see what's going on. He didn't leave me a message. I call him back and he's no way. I cannot believe you called me back on a Friday at six o'clock. Well, I, you know, I just figured you might need something. What's going on? And, and, and it ended up turning into, well, you know what? This is what I was calling for, but let's just talk Monday morning. Okay, great. Right. But he was just so darn appreciative that I called him back and it took less than five minutes out of my day. It's not like it ruined my family's evening because I made this five minute phone call. Right. Now, granted, if that happened all day, every day, then yeah, it could be somewhat bothersome, but that's not the case. And it's just blown my mind how some people are surprised that you either return their email quickly or maybe you didn't pick up the phone and you call them back in a timely manner. And what that tells you is, is there's obviously a lot of people out there that aren't doing those things, like those just basic things of returning phone calls, returning emails, right? Just, you know, just, I mean, I don't, yeah. you don't get a whole lot more basic than that, right? Yeah. So what percentage of your business would you say today is referral based. Oh my goodness. I mean, I would, so I would say this. So we do have some sales guys, right? Yeah. So they are mainly, you know, going out hunting, right. And bringing in business. I would say, I mean, I'm working on probably a couple deals a week and just about everything that I'm working on directly is something that was referred. Man, I mean, that's I'm, a, a great feeling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like literally everything that I'm doing directly is usually somehow a referral. Yeah. Which is just, I mean, as big as it can get, right? I mean, it's just, it, it, it is my business now, right? And again, so, so my hunting is the more networking, right? Because again, if you go back, I'm the relationship guy. That's just how I'm wired, right? I, I want to know you 
And so, so here's how I see networking, right? This is just my own thought. And I think a, a lot of probably, a lot of people probably see it similar. But if you are just a good guy, I don't even, I, maybe I don't even know what business you're at yet. If you're a good guy, right? I want to know who you are and I want you to know me, right? Not that you're a potential customer. I just want to have a relationship with you. And what I believe is this, if you're a good guy and we can have an actual relationship, right? Not just the fake, hey, let me show up and smile at you because I'm trying to get a deal done. Mm -hmm. But if we have an actual relationship, if you send me business one day, that's awesome, right? And if you don't, I still won because now I have an actual relationship with a good guy in my community. That's what I call. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's it, it's yeah. it's a it's still a win. Now yeah. it's a better win if I have a relationship with you and we actually can do business together. Maybe it generates some new business. Yeah. But worse, if if my worst case scenario is I met a good guy in the community that I have a true relationship with, I can live with that, right? I mean, that's that's not a bad thing. Yeah, that goes back to what you were saying about John, right? And and what I call what you're talking about is unconditional networking. You're, you're building relationships with not that agenda, like you said, with John. You're building those relationships with not any expectation. If you get it, great. If you get it and you're both sending each other business, great. And that's how you really, truly grow a business is you're out there just trying to help people and build relationships with people. And it's, you know, I, I thought back to what you said on the valley, you were looking at a valley business and you ended up doing that and working at the grocery store. And brother, I know exactly how that feels is when I got out of the Marine Corps. Now, of course, it was a long time ago. It was like 25 years ago. And people got yellow ribbons on the trees and stuff like that. I was expecting, hey, everybody's going to offer me a job. I just spent six years serving my country. And they were like, hey, thanks for your service. And thanks for showing up to the interview in a suit. But, you know, <laughs> and I can remember it was like my 11th or 12th interview. I just left. And it was the same thing. I will be in touch. Mm -hmm. And you get you, you get to know the the tone of I'll be in touch is mm -hmm. I'm being polite and just telling you I'm not going to call you back. You ain't getting a job. And I was driving down 157 south of 20. I was staying with my parents at the time. So I just literally got out of the Marine Corps. Right? I didn't know what I was going to do. And there was a construction site, Centex Homes. They were building uh, a subdivision. So I pulled up and I walk in the builder's office. Well, sales office is over here. Builder's trailer is over here. I walk in there. I'm wearing a suit coming from an interview like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. As soon as I walk in, they went, oh, hey, the sales office is next door. I was like, sales office? Why, why would I go there? And they were like, well, you're here probably looking to buy one of these houses that are being built. And I went, no, man. Look, my name is Jeremy Spann. I, I, got, I just got out of the Marine Corps. I just came from like my 12th interview. I, I can't find a job. And I just, I just need a job. I don't care what it is. It's just, I just need a job. And a guy named Shorty Miller, who's a plumber, looked at me and he says, I'll give you a job. And he goes, I'm going to work you hard, but I'll pay you fair. And I just looked at him and said, man, this guy in the Marine Corps, you don't know what working hard is, right? <laughs> like, you know, do people shoot at you when you're plumbing? <laughs> no? Okay, cool. You know, all right, roger that, you know. What, you want me to go dig ditches? Guess what you do in the Marine Corps? You do a lot of digging. That's <laughs> I was like, you know, and, and then he said, we start early and we stay late. And it was. We were there before the sunrise and we were there after the sunset. 
And so, but it, it did confuse them, but it was, but like you said, those humble beginnings of going, I just, I, I need to do something to take care of my responsibilities. Yeah. But, and it was really funny as I had a, a, a loose part-time job leading up to buddy, buddy of mine owned a valet company. Okay. So it was funny. So, and it was also another reason why I really had to go find a job when I got out he's like, Oh man, look, I'll hook you up. I got this valet parking business. We got a gig with Del Frisco's downtown Fort Worth. Look, you'll make two, 300 bucks a night. Okay. In 1997, 300 bucks cash in a night was a lot of dough, mm-hmm. right? Hell yeah. But the parking lot was several blocks away. So people would pull up in their very nice cars and you drive it, drop it off. And you had the little keys there. When they came out, you'd run. And that's where I, that's my buddy. I said, man, I really appreciate it. And he goes, nah, man, you just got the Marine Corps. So I know you know how to run. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and picked up somebody's brand new five series, like still got the paper tags on it. And I'm coming through an intersection, which is clearly green, not just turn green, okay. just green. And as I get halfway through it, I remember turning to my right and seeing this huge, enormous Dodge Dooley run the light and T-bound me. Oh, my gosh. Totals the car, right? So when you said, you know, you got to worry about the drivers and everything else. But the, but there's sometimes it's just uncontrollable. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I... Get out. Matter of fact, there was two bicycle officers were close when they got it. They looked at the car. They were like, did the driver run off? And I went, no, I'm, I'm the driver. And they were like, how did you even get out of the car? <laughs> like, man, that's a bad looking accident. <laughs> and it was some 17-year-old kid from Decatur whose girlfriend was in the passenger seat. So I think she was distracting him. Oh <laughs> he was driving and never even saw the red light. Oh, my goodness. So I said, man, I got I to gotta run back and tell these people. So I ran up and I said, hey, who was waiting on the BMW? And this lady was like. I was, and I was like, man, there was just an accident. She was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I ran a red light. She goes, I'm sure it can't be that bad. Oh gosh. When she gets up there and sees the car, she's like, who did this to my car? And I was like, that guy over there, <laughs> the cops had to pull her off. Right. Because, you know, she was pissed. So my buddy, you know, the GM of Del Frisco's at the time calls my buddy, my buddy gets out there and it was like, man, you okay? I was like, yeah, man, I, I just got really lucky because we never wore seatbelts back then. I mean, you're, yeah, you're, you're just yeah. hot dogging through, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he goes, hey, let's, let's go get a drink. And I was like, yeah, okay, man. You know, I thought he was taking me for a drink. Like, hey, man, you're going to be all right. I was like, yeah, man, trust me. <laughs> and I ain't worried about cars hitting me. And he said, hey, I got to let you go. And I was like, what? I was like, I was like hey, bro, that, that wasn't my fault. And he goes, I understand. But if I don't let you go, he's going to give my gig to somebody else. And I make a lot of money off this gig. And I just remember that feeling of not having any control of my destiny yeah. on something that I wasn't even in control of in the first place that occurred. And so I was like, okay, I, you know, I, I went and I went through all these job offers and, and, and then get to the, you know, I'm out here digging ditches that when finally I get, you know, I really wanted to go in law enforcement. My dad's Fort Worth PD. That's where I wanted to be. And I finally get the call to go do that. The plumber, Shorty Miller, was like, man, I, I, I will do, I will pay you whatever. He goes, I've never had anybody worked this hard. You're great. I don't want to get ready. And I says, man, if I wanted to be a plumber, which, I mean, don't be wrong. I, I, that's, a, that's an important trade. And there are people meant to do it. And boy, we know after this freeze, which you and I will talk about yeah. leading up to that, yeah. never, never a better time to have somebody experience with that. But I said, that's not, that's not where I want to go be. But I'll never forget. He says, yeah, but you could actually build your business up you could do, actually do well enough in this business. You could start your own business. So it was just kind of funny in that moment. I was like, not in control of something that happened to me, not in control of my job. 
this guy I'm working hard for says I could own my own business, but I was like, okay, I, I want to go do the safe thing and be a cop. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, so I, I, I understand exactly those feelings of just, I don't want to, I don't like using the word helpless. I hate using that word because it's never really a helpless feeling, but it's not in, not in control. Yeah. You know, like you're saying, well, you know, so I feel like, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's never a guarantee no matter what you do. Right. So you can work for a big corporation, right. And you can feel secure. You, you, again, in my opinion, that's just, you know, this perception, right. That you have this secure job and there's nothing wrong with working for, you know, big corporate companies, right. But you have this perception of stability. Okay. You can, you can build something and you can build something big enough where you then have this perception of stability. There's risk in both, both directions. Like, right? I mean, neither one of those scenarios has any type of guarantee, right? The difference for me is, is if, if I'm running my business and if there's a problem, I at least know about it, right? And I like the fact that if there's issues, it's not being hidden from me. And so if there's a problem, I'm aware. And now I have the power to decide how do you move from here, right? Where Again, and this is this is my perception because I've never been in the corporate world. My perception is is I don't like the idea of working for a big company and I think everything's good. And and the reality is is at least from what I've heard just my whole life and and you know when things happen and I even have a scenario again based on the freeze, you know, when you're an employee, everything's good even when it's not good, you're, you're being told everything's good, right? Until that day that you find out, oh, oh, okay, I don't have a job anymore, right? And literally, you could have asked somebody a week ago, and everybody, oh, everything's awesome, numbers are good, but, you know, because they need you to keep showing up until, and maybe, you know, and I'm sure there's tons of people out there that probably have worked in the corporate world and have had successful careers and maybe have never been let go ever, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a corporate basher. I just know that in my own in my own comfort, I have trouble assuming that my boss or an owner of some company is waking up every day thinking about my best interest, right? And if they're not thinking about my best interest, I'd rather be the one making those decisions, right? Like I don't like somebody else having that control over my life. And so, you know, we had talked about earlier, not everybody wants that weight on their shoulders, right? To me, that weight, me taking on that weight on my own shoulders is justified because that, that's, that for me gives me more comfort, right? Knowing that somebody else isn't, you know, can't just make some decision one day, you know, oh, our numbers aren't that, as good this year, right? We need to let a few people go. Who's it going to be? All right, well, let's chop this guy, this guy, and that guy, right? We just yeah. need to... And, and, and it, because again, a lot of times people get let go and it has nothing to do with them not being a good producer, right? They could have been doing a good job. Things happen. COVID happens. The, I mean, you know, and again, and I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs struggle like heck during COVID, right? So again, just because you're an entrepreneur doing a good job, there is no guarantee, you know, I, you have a risk no matter where you go. So it's just a question of what, what's good for you, right? Like, where do you feel comfortable? And for me, I've just, I don't know. I've just never had the desire 
to work for somebody. You know, what's funny is when I hear you say this, it reminds me of January, 2006. My mom was going through cancer a second time. So they had been living in Costa Rica. No, this is, this is, she was going through cancer the first time. So it's January, 2006. My dad intends to retire at the end of the year from Fort Worth PD. I'm on Fort Worth PD. My, my, my uncle was at my parents' house. And I remember he and I sitting on the back patio having a lot of drinks. <laughs> and, and, and it was just really funny because if you saw my uncle, this is my mom's oldest brother who had lived in Alaska for like 20, 30 years and made a lot of money in the oil and gas industry as an advisor. And you would never guess that this guy had been really successful. I mean, he wears like overalls and, you know, his clothes are clean, but he's not dressing <laughs> the part. Matter of fact, I remember that night because I was laughing because he he was drinking, he was drinking wine out of a box that he had set up on the shelf on the back patio, and he was using an empty Gatorade bottle to pour it in there. You know, here's a guy that could afford the most expensive wines on the planet. He's drinking it in a Gatorade bottle out of a box. <laughs> and he turns around, he looks at me and says, hey, what's your retirement plan? And I said, well, what do you mean? I've got a pension. And he looked at me and said, so let me get this straight. You're going to, you're going to. You're going to trust your financial future in the hands of elected officials who control your pension. Mm -hmm. And there was something about the way he said that, that I went, oh, I mean, if that's my plan, like you were talking about, mm -hmm. how much control do I have in that? And, you know, then, of course, now I'm applying to other jobs and everything else and leading up to the end of 2006 when I had, I was actually going to leave the department then, not because the department was bad or any of that. It was just like, I want to go do something I have more control of or make more money at or something like that. And then unfortunately, Dwayne Frito was killed on the side of the highway the night of my graduation in December of 2006. So I felt obligated to go ahead and stay with the department. But I just remember the 12 months prior to that, that feeling of like when somebody points something out or you have that realization that actualization of i'm really here at the convenience of somebody else and when i'm no longer convenient i am irrelevant mm -hmm. and i knew that was going to lead me you know that, that that was i'd had you know if i broke down my jury i could go back and actually do a timeline of all the little things that led up to when i ultimately did leave the department many years later but we're not here about me. We're here about you. And I want to segue into in, in, into the freeze mm -hmm. and how that affected you. But I wanted I wanted to take a second to point out is one of the reasons I love doing this show is when you know someone for a number of years and then you realize now I just realized I unconsciously I I really do like this guy. I like Noe and 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 in realizing. We have a lot more in common than I ever realized sitting in here with things you're saying, like the words mm. you use, trust, fit, value. And that is really your business model. Your business model is really not selling contracts and power and energy and all that. Your, your real business model is people, yeah. right? No, I mean, I, I mean, I'll say hundred percent. So, and this is a very strange, random story, but literally one of the things that happened to me this morning, right, is a buddy of mine who is moving 
moving houses in these coming days, right? Lives in North Dallas. And so we do residential electricity, but we do residential electricity by referral only. We do not solicit that business at all. Now, over the years, we have accumulated a pretty solid residential book. But again, it's not, I'm happy to help and I'm happy to help because of the relationships, right? It just continues to kind of support what I'm building, but it's not Not the primary focus. No, it's a hundred percent, not the primary focus and it's not what pays my bills. Right. But so my buddy, he got his power was turned off today, right? At his, at the home that he's moving out of, but they're not going to officially be moved out until tomorrow. Well, so he's trying to get the power back on and he's going back and forth. And obviously my wife is saying, Hey, you know, they're being told they can't get the power back on today. Is that right? And I said, no, we can get their power on today. Right. And again, these are friends of mine and I don't service their power. Cause I just don't, if they asked me, I would help, but I, it's just not, I don't even bring it up. Right. If we're hanging out, you will never have me ask you, yeah. Oh, by the way, who services your home? I just don't, yeah. I'm happy to help you, but I, I just literally don't talk about it. Right. Unless you, unless you're the one that initiates it. And so at the end of the day, he thought he had set everything up correctly, right? He told me when we eventually get on the phone this morning and he says, well, I asked him if they could, you know, turn off the power today, you know, in the middle of the night. I said, well, look, dude, I said, that's impossible. Like you, that's just not how the system works. Mm -hmm. Move outs happen in the morning, in the morning. So if you said the 31st, they were supposed to turn it off today. The only problem that you had is the guy that you were talking to on the phone either didn't care or didn't know better, right? And so, but that's what we're bringing, that, that's the real thing that we're bringing to the table, right? Is, does he need me to get electricity? Of course not. He can Google all kinds of things. He can call an 800 number. He doesn't need me to get electricity. What we bring to the table is, is one, I know what I'm doing, right? So I can guide you in the direction. And two, if you're asking me something, if I don't know it, I'm going to figure the, the darn answer out, right? It's not that often these days. I've been doing this long enough. It's not that often that I just am stumped. But if I am, I'm going to pick up the phone and figure it out, right? I'm never going to just tell you something because I don't know the answer. So I'm, just, I'm not going to blurt something out if it's not right, you know? And so, and I can take care of it because again, he doesn't know who the heck that guy was that told him he could turn the power off in the middle of the night. Could he contact that person if he wanted to? Heck no. You don't know that representative's last name. They don't have extensions. They're just somebody that answers. And again, I'm not sitting here hating on customer service, right? Like there's, there is a place. What I'm saying is, is part of what we sell is, is when you do business with us, you get us, right? So we can negotiate a contract, but when you need something, you can actually reach me. You can call me, right? And then I can help facilitate things. But, but in his scenario, his issue wouldn't have even existed if he had called me and said, hey, in a way, we need, we're, we're not moving out until Thursday morning. Can you turn off the power in the middle of the night? I would have said, no, dude. No, we need to turn off the power on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Because if we say we, we want to turn it off on the 31st, I would have told him right then, it's going to be turned off on the morning of the 31st. And we can't ask Encore to turn it off at four p- like it, it's just that's just not how it works, right? Yeah. And so I would have been able to advise him right from the get go what made sense for him, and then this whole scenario would have been avoided because I know what I'm doing. I'm an expert in my field, and I can guide him in the right direction. So 
we focus in the commercial world, right? Again, same thing is a business does not need a broker to get electricity. Again, right? Just because they're a business and they might use more power doesn't mean they need a broker. What happens though, is if you, if you, if you pay a commercial bill and you could be the property owner, you could be the tenant, it doesn't matter. It's the question of who pays the bill, right? If you pay a commercial bill, then, and you don't have a broker, you're going to call up whoever it is that you're familiar with, right? Maybe you know of a few, maybe you know of one, maybe you're going to Google something, who knows, but you're going to either, and, and my guess is, is you're going to be one of two people. You're going to be the guy that's going to make that one phone call, take what they give you and set it up, right? And most likely you're not going to get a competitive deal, right? Because one, if you're that guy, you're not trying to go through a bunch of hoops and negotiate, nor do you have negotiating power being a single customer, right? But you're going to pick up the phone. They're going to see that you're easygoing. You don't, you're not asking a lot of questions. You don't really know what questions to ask. And they're going to give you a number that's good for them more than what's good for you because they're making their money by really kind of offering the highest rate that they can while still securing your business. They don't want to lose your business, but they're not going to fight harder than they need to, right? If they can get a higher number, that's good for them. And again, I'm not trying to vilify the providers, but that's just business, right? They're not going to offer you a lower rate than they have to, right? And so, or you're going to be the other guy where you're going to, you're going to be all fired up, right? And you feel like I'm smart. I'm going to get, I'm going to take care of this. And you could be a brilliant guy, right? But you, this isn't your world right? You might run a real estate firm. You might, you, you, you do any job under the, you run a restaurant, right? And you have expertise in your world and we all can't be experts at everything, right? If you were going to sit here and ask me about merchant services, I'd be like, Jeremy, what are you asking me for? I'm an yeah. energy guy, yeah. right? I can't, I, I can't advise you on merchant services, right? I don't, I don't know that stuff, right? Call a merchant services guy or, Hey, here's my buddy that does that. Call him, right? But I can't, I can't be an expert on everything. I'm going to call you when I need something on real estate. I'm not the real estate mm-hmm. guy. And so, but if you were going to try and take that approach, now you're going to, you're going to get out your little paper and pen like we have in front of us. And you're going to start number one and you're going to call whoever you thought of as number one. Hey, what can we do for this? What can we do? For, okay. You're going to write stuff down. You're going to hang up the phone. You're going to call the next company. All right. Hey, I talked to so-and-so. What can we do? And you're, I mean, you're just going to be doing as much research or negotiating that you feel like you can and call a bunch of phone numbers. You're going to probably spend hours of your time. Right. And then you're going to look at your list, you know, think, okay, this seemed to be the best one. Let's call those guys back and let's get it set up. Okay. But the reality is, is you not knowing all the details. You might not know that provider one is passing through an ancillary charge that you didn't ask about. Provider two might include that ancillary charge, right? And maybe provider two has a higher price, but there's a reason that high, that price was higher, right? And so you're, and you might, oh, well, and then this other provider has a base charge or a meter fee, you know, or, you know, this other company is going to give us, you know, bandwidth, you know, so our, maybe we'll be penalized if our consumption goes up or down too much every year. You know, there's all these variables, but the reality is if you just called and you, hey, what can we do for 12 months? We can do for 24 months. You're not going to know any of those things. So now you've done all this research, right? Your, your information has holes in it all over the place. And now you're going to make a decision based on bad data, right? So you put all the work in, like you, your effort was there. 
But you might then execute an agreement that just is nowhere near what you could have had if you let an expert handle it for you. You know what I right? love, absolutely love about this is you and I are in the same realms. Yeah. Right. Um, not same, same industry, but we're running right side by side. I and, compare it to and, real estate all the time. Yeah. Right. Because some, somebody can sell yeah. their own house, right? You can, put a, you can put a sign up, says for sale by owner. And again, you don't have to have a broker. Nope. And I, I will say this all day long. And I even told one of my buddies, I thought he was crazy. I have a buddy who listed his house, right? By himself. And he even got a little bit over ask, right? So he's think, all proud of himself. And again- Until he realized even a little bit over ask was much less than what he could have got. Well, and that's, <laughs> and that's my point, right? Is again, so one, I think people should value their time, Right. But even outside of the time is there, let's just point the finger at me, right? I'm not selling my house, but let's say I'm selling. And if my own, if my only basis on real estate prices is what I know, I mean, that's limited day. Again, I'm now I'm making decisions off of bad data, right? Yeah. If, if the only information I'm is, is what I'm used to when I don't do real estate every day, I, I'm, I'm making decisions off of bad data. So if I'm, if I list my house for a number that I think is good, okay, bad data, right? I already know that that's bad data because I'm using my own expertise. And now if I get an offer over a list, then I'm like, oh, yay. Well, heck, maybe Jeremy, if I got five over, 5,000 over ask, maybe Jeremy could have gotten me 20 over ask, right? And, may, and heck, and, and this, is, this is what I truly believe. And I'm not saying this because I'm talking to a real estate guy. What I believe is that it is very realistic that you would have gotten enough money over what I would have gotten that you will get paid your commission and I will still pocket more than I would if I just listed it myself. That's what I truly believe, right? And I, and I believe that because, again, I do see very very much similarities in between what we do. Prime example of this was one of my first houses I listed, fellow Marine. His house was a one bedroom. The house next to him was a two bedroom. The house next to his was 500 square feet larger for sale by owner. So I was going in to list his house. I said, Hey man, I would have loved to help you out. And he's like, no, I got it. I know how to do this. I don't need you. And I said, Hey, just out of curiosity, how many real estate deals have you done? He goes, oh, the, the only deal I've done is when I bought this house, you know, naturally, because you're a great broker, but you probably deal with the same thing I do is people have dealt with a lot of bad brokers. So that's left an yep. image, right? And that what, you know, I could have done their job for them and it, not wrong. Barriers of entry into my industry are very, very low. And I said, okay, cool. You know, I, I tell you, I'm not here to be in the convincing business. I ended up getting my buddy like considerably more than what we listed at because there's a lot more complexity that comes into it. How do you negotiate multiple offers? How do you compete them against each other? How do you make sure just because somebody came in at the highest that they can actually close at that number? And I won't make sausage out of it here today. I could make a podcast out of that <laughs> alone. But when it was all said and done and we got his close and after we closed and he moved out, I called the guy and go, hey, did you ever sell your house? And he goes, yeah, I just got an offer. And we've already been through inspections and everything else. And I says, man, I 
just absolutely curious what you got. And he goes, well, I'm sure I got more than you because my house is bigger. And I said, okay. He ended up getting $20,000 less than what I got my buddy. And this guy's house was 500 square feet high more. Just based on the square footage different and price per square foot and, and everything else, I would have, not, like you just said, not only gotten him more money, but it would have covered our commissions. Oh, yeah. By the way, my buddy that did it through me, when you sell a house in Texas, typically the seller pays title. They didn't pay title. Typically, the seller buys a home warranty, which can be anywhere from 500 to 1000 Yeah, didn't have to pay for that. So even the upside on this that didn't even have to do with that my buddy made significantly more money and I just, and I just went, man, good. You know, I just, I'm not here to be in the convincing business. And, and it is actually a really good segue to lead in, into the, the freeze that I know mm-hmm. we're going to talk about is there's this need versus want, right? So I, I tell new clients, Hey, my objective is that you will know as much, if not more than me about real estate by the time this is said and done. Okay. And other agents are like, oh my God, if you if, if they know what we know, they don't need us. I was like, they don't. You just said it. You can list your houses for sale by owner. You can go buy, you can see a listing sign and go in there and buy it without representation and all of this. So that's why I knew I didn't want to work with people where there were needs, there was wants. And that's why we have two core values. And that first core value is what I call the value exchange. You must want, not need, Need, you got to be in a convincing business, mm-hmm. right? You must want and trust us. And oh, by the way, we must want and trust you. I've reached, I mean, look, I'm in the top 1% of producers. I don't need anybody's business. Yeah. So I don't need to work with someone I don't want to work with. I don't need to be in a convincing business. I don't need to convince somebody who they should trust me when it's not me that they don't trust. They just don't trust anybody, yeah. right? So as long as we have that value exchange, you trust me and you want to be with me and I trust you and I want to be with you, then that invokes the second core value is what what I call the value proposition, which is as long as we have that trust, that value exchange, value proposition is your money is always going to be more important than my money. Because as long as we have that trust and I make your money more important and get you across the finish line, my money's going to naturally follow. Yeah. Right. And people go, well, you know, what if they don't? What if they screw you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, then what we did is miss something in that first core value, right? And we actually have a process to vet people is if they're not going to follow our process, we don't, we don't take them as a client. In 2020, I turned down over $4 million worth of real estate transaction potential because they didn't want to do our process or they didn't like us or they didn't want to take the culture in. They didn't want to do all this. And I was like, you don't want to do the things that is A, going to help us because confusion creates fear. Clarity creates trust, and you don't want to participate in a process that's, A, going to allow us to know how to communicate with you better, so we present things the way you prefer it. Because like me and my wife, for example, two totally different processors. Mm -hmm. If you presented information to her the way you would me, you would confuse the pants off of her. And if you presented information to me the way you would her, you would bore me to tears. So I'm like, we're going to present it the way you prefer to process it. Yeah. And if you're not going to give me that ability to do that, then you've already indicated what you're going to be like to go work with. So, and a, a recent example is a first-time home buyer comes in, gets through the process. Somewhere I missed something. He, you know, when you don't have the value exchange, 
you're one-sided. When you're lo- one-sided, you're lopsided. You're in the convincing business. I don't have time and energy to convince. I don't have the time and energy to be convinced. Quite frankly, I don't think anybody has that magical power in the first place. <laughs> but but is somehow I didn't ask enough of the right questions to identify that he wanted and trusted us. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was us per se, because now he's doing a follow-up like, hey, want to go get coffee? So I don't think it was us thing. It was just a trust issue that I had I been able to ask the right questions, I could identify that because we wouldn't have wasted any time. Yeah. Like a lot of time on this particular individual to get to that point is. So when I do go meet with that individual, we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation. If you still want things out of me, <laughs> let's talk about time and the value of time is we, we have these core values and that is so important because you don't need us. I get that. You want to be smart as, Oh, by the way, this is the first time you've ever bought a house. And instead you decided to go pick an agent that's only sold one deal in 24 months. So you want the person that's going to represent you on the largest financial transaction of your entire life that's done one deal in the last 24 months. Oh, by the way, I do two deals a week. And we're very good at doing them. And we're great at delivering the value in our clients that do trust us and we trust them. Their experience is incredible. Mm -hmm. So why would I go spend my time and energy trying to convince people, people like, well, you passed up 4 million. And I was like, yeah, but I did 40. (laughs) (laughs) Still did a lot, you know? And and so, you know, and, and, or like a, a recent thing is we're really good at problem solving is hopefully your transaction goes completely smooth, no interruptions, no bumps in the road. But like you were talking about your buddy's situation, things happen. And unless you know how to, take care of that or problem solve it that could lead to problems that would have that will end up costing you more money than if you would have just hired me in the first place right yeah and so what we did is like the freeze is now texas disaster state the ecot thing plumbing issues lending new requirements and all of this where people don't know how to navigate we're like don't worry we got this mm mm-hmm. mhm we matter of fact, there's some th- aspects in this. We've seen this before. This is what the solution was. There's some things in it that's brand new. Don't worry. We got Span who thinks outside the box. He's going to come up with some, as Laura says, three harebrained ideas, which two will get us in jail and one <laughs> will actually work. That's why when people wonder why I keep a defense attorney on staff, that's why. Uh, but but we're able to be there and serve them because they trusted us and we trusted them. Mm-hmm. That value proposition of your money's more important than our money was not just a statement. That is what we do. And we're going to make sure that you don't end up selling your house and then later getting sued because we didn't say, hey, you should probably should go do this, this, and this. Or this is no kidding. Two Mondays ago. Yeah. Not this last Monday, Monday before. Longtime client, friend. I mean, this guy gets bored and buys a house every 18 months. I told him, I was like, the whole reason I was able to buy a house in Picoso Springs, Colorado, is because you get bored every 18 months. Please stay <laughs> getting bored, right? We were supposed to close on another house for him. And the Friday before we get a call from the agent when we scheduled the walkthrough. And I normally don't do the walkthroughs anymore because I don't need to break down how our team works and all that. But I had, I said, I I said, Hey, Lynn, schedule it, make sure, you know, get it scheduled. But Michelle, you don't have to go, even though you're the, that's what your role is. I want to go surprise him. And then Michelle calls me and goes, well, we're not going to be going on it. And I was like, what? Why? Well, the freeze, the sellers of the house, my 
but he was going to buy. That had been in the house, their new house, new construction. The husband stayed the night in the house that my buddy's getting ready to buy. That house ended up having a water heater, gas, frozen issue, thawed, created a leak nobody knew about, created enough gas that when she went to turn on the heater, the house exploded. And I don't mean just like, hey, we had a fire. I mean, leveled the house. So naturally, we're jumping in and navigating this whole situation of what we what will we do next? What do we need to do? What are next steps? But imagine having to go through that entire thing and you had no experience. Yeah. Are, do you, do, are you doing it because you're the smartest person in the room? Because if you are the smartest person in the room, I don't want you as a client. Because if you believe that, then really you don't value our advice. And, yeah, and, yeah. and if I'm going to offer something of value and you don't want it, then I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I've got other people that do want want that. So, but that's why, man, it's just, I love hearing this is you and I literally do things identical in, in our fields. So let's talk about that freeze, man, that, that storm of, of crazy. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll tell you this. I mean, I think we, so the week of the freeze, email communication between us and providers was it was like radio silence, right? Because everybody, nobody was in the office, right? Like all the at, with anybody, right? Every everybody shut down, everybody's closed. And so in my mind, I'm just sitting here thinking, oh gosh, where's the market going to be next week, right? That's that's where I was thinking because it's obviously going to affect the market. And to be honest you know, we can see price spikes in the winter just as much or feasibly more than we do in the summer. Everybody thinks about prices spiking in the summer because we live in Texas and it gets really hot, right? And, and, and we do see rates go up in the summer. But when weather happens like this, freezes can definitely make the mar- market very volatile, right? But so I couldn't do business that week if I wanted to, Right. <laughs> I mean, everything is just completely shut down. So I was, you know, for the most part, hanging out with family until we figured out, oh, wait, no, we can't drink any of our running water. Now I got to go figure out how am I, you know, I mean, so there were, there were issues and things that I had to kind of jump on and, and deal with, right? Because, you know, some of those complications came up. But, you know, I, I spent a decent amount of that week just hanging out with my kids in the snow right? Because I couldn't work anyways. They wanted to play. And so that's just kind of what we did, right? So I expected to be some, I expected to see, you know, some negative effects in the market. My goodness, my goodness. (laughs) Wow. We had some surprises. Let me guess the effects exceeded your expectations. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I mean, so I'll leave, I mean, I'll leave, so I'll leave this provider out of it, but I mean, I saw a report last week that a very large provider who, as far as I know, is still financially, you know, okay and moving forward, was taking a $750 million hit from the storm. You hear what I'm saying? Almost a billion dollars. Right? I mean, these numbers are insane. I mean, we have never seen anything have even a fraction of the impact on our market that we have seen from this darn storm, right? 
And so what has happened, if we're talking about market-wise, is I think, I don't know the exact numbers right now, shortly after the storm, there were estimates that came out saying that as many as 22 energy-related companies could go bankrupt. That's, I mean, this is insanity, right? And so again, are are, are we in a third world country? Dude, this is, it's, it's nuts. So, so so this is really what's happened is so, you know, the stuff on the news was just like irritating the heck out of me. Right. And I think that just got people all, you know, frazzled and expecting, I mean, I've, I've received so many phone calls from people. So I'll give you an example and then I need to go back, uh, circle back on, on some of the free stuff. But the news, you know, and everybody was talking about like companies like Gritty, right? So Gritty was kind of an index deal focused on residential customers. So you, so they kept, oh, some residential customer got a $17,000 bill or, I mean, look, that is craziness. But the reality is most of the market was not Gritty customers, right? And so there is actually legislation going through right now or being voted on trying to make it to where residential customers don't even have the choice to choose an index product, to where providers cannot offer index to residential or small commercial customers because they're they're a protected class, right? So, so Gritty was the first that left the market. And so, but if you were a customer that had a fixed rate with whoever your provider was, there, you know, there was protection there, right? But everybody's hearing all this stuff on the news, so everybody's afraid of seeing these price spikes. And so if your bill was normally, let's say your normal bill was a couple hundred bucks and now you got this bill that was 250, you're not even remembering that you usually pay 200. All you know is, oh, this bill's higher than it normally is. So in a way we got this bill, it's high, it jumped, it, it doubled, right? That's what, I mean, I've literally had, had customers tell me, hey, my bill doubled this month. And then I go look at their stuff and I'm like, hey, I just pulled your bills and I noticed, you so I'll go to a specific customer. Pull the bills. One month, so I pulled the last three months. One month was two hundred and thirty. Another one was you know two thirty five, and then the most recent one was two seventy, right? So it was an increase. Don't you know it increased? I was like, are we talking about the two seventy? You know, I mean, is this the one? Is this and, and just I'm trying to you know because a lot of we have a lot of clients that have multiple accounts or different locations, and so I'm trying to figure out like. Am I missing something here? You know, is he, when he reached out to me, is this the account that he was talking about? And I think the fact that I reminded him what those previous months were, he's like, oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. (laughs) Because I think in his mind, he's expecting this big bill because of all this stuff he's hearing, right? So he sees 270, which is an increase. and And he just assumes, oh, this is much higher. Because his brain isn't thinking about, well, what was it last month? Like he didn't, didn't take the moment to think of it. And again, I'm not blaming him. I think yeah. it's just everybody's had this, it was almost like the scare. Everybody's expecting caused, this is bad news. Caused by the media. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. But so I'll say this, the huge majority of customers were protected and probably didn't see any change other than consumption. If your bill was higher, it was because of consumption increase. Right. On the flip side, just because customers had protection does not mean that the providers didn't have opportunity of risk. Right. Yeah. So 
the real reason, and I'm not going to get in here like I know every detail about everything, but the real, I mean, the real reason we saw the amount of outage that we saw was because generation was not at full capacity, right? Our generation was basically cut in half. And I mean, there's, if, if that's the scenario, there's no way that we would have not had a big outage, right? And so again, not getting in all the, you know, we should have done this or should have done that. But the reality was, is, you know, if, if the generation plants were winterized, right? And we didn't lose all that capacity. Now, whether we would have seen a small outage, who knows, right? But when you have this big outage, now the market is just going nuts, right? The costs of that power is now through the roof and is being billed to the provider, okay? That provider legally, even if they wanted to, that provider cannot pass that charge to you because you have a fixed rate, Yeah, right? So you have this protection, but they're getting these bills from the state that many just cannot pay. So, and you could have hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, depending on what entity you're talking about. But the reality is, is you have these providers that are getting bills. And if they can't pay that bill, ERCOT revokes their ability to do business in the state. Wow. And they shut down. Right. I mean, cause they're like in immediate de- default. Yeah. Which two weeks earlier, they might've been okay. I mean, like, it's just the craziest thing in the world. Now, what ends up happening is, is if a customer is with a provider who then defaults and gets shut down, if there's no acquisition, then those customers are then pushed to what they call polar providers, provider of last resort, right? So there is a system in place so that every customer will always have a provider servicing them no matter what, right? So you'll never have a, a risk of losing power. But what ends up happening is if you get pushed to a polar provider, whatever contract you had previously now ceases to exist because that provider is no longer here, right? So now you are moved to a new provider on a month-to-month term. So now you're on month-to-month pricing, which is uh, no matter what you were paying before, this new rate will be higher, right? And so now you have to do something new, right? And so this kind of goes back to what what we bring to the table, right? So Nobody, I mean, now there could have been companies that might've had, you know, some financial issues that weren't public before the storm and the storm just made that to a point where they couldn't, couldn't push through. But the reality is, is I think the storm was big enough that it has or will take out providers that otherwise would still be doing business and would continue doing business into you know, the, into, into the future until, you know, until they decided not to, right. You know, companies that would have been financially stable outside of the storm, right. Because when it comes down to, you know, these providers hedging, I think there's always going to be providers that might be more aggressive than they should be, right. That puts more risk on their books. But I think this event was so big that I think there could have easily been providers that thought, they were hedging properly and conservative enough. And, it, and because this was such, such a, an ordeal that was outside of any normal realm that somebody could think of, right? It just, it just wasn't enough, right? I mean, everybody's yeah. taking a hit. Every, everybody's taking a hit. The question is, is can they handle the hit, 
and yeah. they move past it. And some of them can and some of them can't, right? But what I would say is this, it has been very stressful. We have had one process where one of our providers had to leave the market. Some of that book of business was acquired by a new provider, right? And some of them were pushed to polar. And so we had to reach out to every one of those customers, even before we knew who was going where. Reaching out, hey, this is what's going on. Please let us know if you see any emails, if you get any phone calls, please keep us up to date, you know, update if you see something because the information flow is not great, right? I mean, we're getting anything that we can get from the state and trying to figure things out, but we're also asking for them to fill us in if they see something because there could be a moment that somebody might get an email before I've received that particular piece of information and now I, that will help me move forward as well. So basically, like if you're paying me to be the spokesperson, then rely on me to be the spokesperson. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just keep me informed yeah. and it will help me do my job better. Yeah. Right. But the reality was, is what was interesting is, so we didn't do anything wrong, right? Yeah. Watermark had nothing to do with certain customers being with a provider that now is leaving the market. I mean, these are guys that we've worked with for, you know, the last decade, right? We had no reason to believe that when we signed up a contract with them, whether it was six months ago or three years ago, right, that there was a reason not to, right? So Watermark didn't do anything wrong, but I still have this in my own mind, I have this thought of like, oh gosh, our customer is going to be frustrated with me, right? Are they going to think negatively about our company because we're the ones that put them with this provider? Now this thing is happening. Are they going to be upset with us, right? And what I found was customers were just very appreciative, right? We had talked to everybody before anything happened, when things happened. So the customers that did not get acquired, all of those customers had to be renegotiated with a new provider. And when, and we also had to wait on timing, right? Because we couldn't switch customers too early because we had to get real confirmation that they weren't part of the acquisition and now we needed to move them somewhere else. And so there's a lot of confusion, right? I mean, it was, it's messy. And... What I found was is customers were just appreciative, saying, we're so thankful that you helped us through this. But when you had we're that- We're thankful yeah. that when I got the email, you had already spoke to me about this. And when I got this email about my account being moved to a polar provider, I wasn't surprised because you already told me and I knew you were going to be working on it. And I knew, you know, it was just them knowing that- one, they were expecting it, even though I didn't tell them the exact everything, everything, because we didn't know the exact detail. The fact that they had heard from us, they knew that we would take care of it. They knew we were on top of it, right? Left them feeling okay. It wasn't a great situation. Would we have rather avoided that? Of course, but nobody was freaking out because they knew that we were on top of it. That goes back to the value exchange that I mentioned earlier is that your clients want to be with you and they trust you. You want to be with them and you trust them. So where other people don't have that business philosophy, they were having to be in the convincing business and how much energy does that take? You know, no pun intended energy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where instead they were, they leaned into trust instead of leaning into the ambiguity of the situation. Right. Yeah. Because it's really easy when you have chaos and ambiguity to lean into that chaos and ambiguity instead of leaning into the person that's there with you. Yeah. Right. So at the end of all these, 
I like to go back to 20-year-old self. And you've had this incredible journey leading up to where you are now and where you've been for the last 13 years with Watermark, you know, throwing throwing some midnight groceries and valley parking cars to get it where you finally get the referrals that are coming in to have the business that you have, you know, and I'm, I'm just absolutely, I'm, I'm not shocked, but I'm absolutely grateful that I have someone just like me that does business the exact same way and that you have people that don't need you, but they want you and you didn't get there overnight right? Mm-hmm. You had a lot of life learning that went up to that to be able to be you in business. So if you had to go back to 20-year-old self, and I know how many things we'd love to tell 20-year-old self, not that 20-year-old self would listen to 99.99% of the things we tell them <laughs> uh, because we knew everything at that point. But if there's that one thing you could say, do this or don't do that, what is that one thing you would tell Noe at 20 years old? You know, I mean, I think if, I mean, if we were really going to chisel it down, I'd just have to say, you know, character, right? I mean, it has, everything has to be about your character because I don't care if we're talking about family. I don't care if we're talking about business. You know, I, I've, I have been of the belief in my house that my boys know, right? And I say my boys because my daughter isn't old enough to have these conversations with me yet, but my boys know, like if I, if I say something, that that's it. Like it is, it's done. Right. I'm not the guy that's going to, I don't, I don't say things that I have not processed yet. I'm just not that guy. Right. I think about the words I say, I choose them on purpose. Now I'm not saying that I'm not in, in my dad rule. I don't, you know, raise my voice or, you know, you know, get frustrated, but, but the words I say are, they're on purpose. Right. And my boys know that if I say, Hey, we're going to ride bikes tonight. That we're going to ride bikes tonight. And the only possible thing that could keep us from riding bikes is going to be if there is something just completely out of our control. Like say it just starts storming at 6 p.m. And the weather report earlier said we thought it was going to be sunny. sunny the weather's supposed to be nice. Well, yeah, we're going to go on a bike ride today. Well, if it starts storming, obviously we can't go on a bike ride, you know. But they know under any normal circumstances, if, if this is what I said, that's what we're going to do, right? Because I said it, right? And they know if, if I say I'm going to do something, it's done, right? And that's how I do in business, right? I mean, your character is everything. That's how my, and I grew up with that, right? I knew that if my dad said something, that's, that's what it was. I could count on it. I could depend on it, right? He wasn't going to tell me something to, to make me be quiet, right? If, if my kids are asking me something and I don't know the answer, I will say, I don't know. And if, if we're, if we're talking about doing something, if I can't commit to it, I say, you know what, dude, it depends. I'm not sure. Yeah. I will do my best. I I cannot promise you. I'm very clear. If I'm not willing to commit, I will say, look, I don't know if we can do that today. We will, we'll, we have to see, right? Because I'm not going to tell you that we will do this thing. If I'm not willing to fully commit that we're going to do this thing, because if I say we're going to do it, we're, we're sure as hell going to do it. You know, because I'm just not that guy. What I say matters, right? It matters to me that I fulfill this thing that I said. Just the same, if, if, if I tell you something, if I tell a client, I don't care who we're talking about. I don't care if it's business. I don't care if it's personal. I'm just not going to run my about, mouth about something 
that is irrelevant. If I tell you that I'm going to do something, it's, it's going to get done. Right. And I think that's, you know, it's not what everybody does, right? That's the reality. You wish it was right. We all wish we could be around friends and business associates and people that did that. Right. Because I know I value it and it's hard to find those things. Right. But that's what I'm looking for in people I network with. That's what I'm looking for in people I do business with. I mean, if, you know, I would like to be friends with those people, right? But I mean, to me, that's that's what my business is built on, right? Is is that character, right? We have to have the trust because if they don't trust me, this is the deal. So I'm not trying to like go backwards because I know we're trying to wrap things up. But when you're talking about being the convincing game, right? If every time... So let's say you're an existing customer and maybe, maybe you're not a hundred percent, you know, just completely leaning on me that first time around. Right. But if we, if we've been doing business, right. And you've been a client of mine for a while to me, if when it's time to renegotiate that deal, if I feel like you don't trust me, that is not enjoyable to me at all. I'm not going to like, even if we keep the business, let's say we sign a new contract. I'm not, I'm not smiling inside because we just closed a new deal. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be frustrated because even though we got the deal done, I know that you still don't trust me, right? The way I want my day to go is that when it's time to do the deal, whether you reached out to me or I reached out to you, we talk about it. I tell you what we can do. I tell you what we, what I think we should do and figure out where your comfort is and what the future plans are, right? And then we do the deal based on, on that relationship. And then when we get that renewal done, it was enjoyable, right? Because I have a relationship with this person, right? They trust me. We got it done. I know they're leaning on me. Like that is enjoyable to me and I can feel good about it. The other deal will still pay, but that's not enjoyable. You know, like that's not that I don't want to spend my day closing deals with people that don't value the relationship with me. Am I going to tell them I'm not going to do his deal? No. But what I am saying is, is that's not what I'm looking for. I, I'm, I, my goal is, again, whether it starts from day one or whether I have to earn it. And if I have to earn it, that's okay. But I want to get to the point where you as my client know that I'm looking out for your best interest, right? And the reality is, is I am because to me, my business is all about retention, right? You, you can make ongoing money from a client, whether, whether it's over a decade, maybe they buy or sell a couple houses, right? They're probably not all like that guy that buys a new house every 18 months, but you know, they might have multiple transactions or maybe they're referrals. For me, if somebody owns a business, we might sign a, I mean, we might sign a five-year deal, right? Well, we're not signing a five-year deal to be a five-year deal and then it disappears. I want the five-year deal and then I want to renew it. I don't, and, and again, whether we renew it short-term or long-term, that's a, that's a different conversation because that depends on what makes sense at that time for that customer, right? But I want his business indefinitely until his business does not exist, until he sells, until he retires, I want his business indefinitely, 
Well, the only way I can retain that business is every contract, every throughout that five years when he needs something, we have to be there. We have to, again, go and return the e- return an email, return a phone call when it's time to renew. Like we can't just be, hey, it's time to renew. We're here. Mm-hmm. Right. We hadn't heard from me in five years. I didn't, I didn't return any of your phone calls. Right. Maybe I emailed you back saying, hey, call customer service. Right. Cause I'm, I'm too busy for you. Right. Here's the 800 number. Call them. They'll take care of you. You know, if, if you don't, if, if we're not, if our actions aren't of that, where we're truly looking out for that customer, I'm not going to get that renewal business. It's not going to come because they're going to be like, well, where, where the heck did you go? Right. Mm-hmm. I called you and you never called me back. Right. I mean, you know, it, and so my business model is based on that, right? It, the health of my business, the only reason we have these referrals coming to us is because we've proven over time that we are that, that we will do that, right? And so, yeah, 100%, the character, if you take that out of the equation, the business model crumbles, right? Because I can't build what I'm building with that lack of trust, right? If customers mm-hmm. don't know that, okay, he's telling me this and I can just believe him, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it like literally, it, it, it just, there wouldn't be another way to do it. It just, it just literally would not work. So how, do, how does the audience out there get in touch with you, get in touch with your company? Where do they go? Does website, social media, phone number, email, what? Whatever you put out. Yeah. I mean, so I would say, you know, our website's watermarkpower.com. Okay. We, we, you know, I keep on thinking about all this social media stuff. We have not done anything with it yet. <laughs> and with my age, you would think, you would think that would be different, but you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, watermarkpower.com. My email is noway at watermarkpower.com. So N-O-E at water, W-A-T-E-R, Mark, M-A-R-K. And then power, P as in Paul, O-W-E-R.com. My cell phone is 214-797-4357. You can get all, you know, our office number, those things on the website. But we de- I definitely I always have my cell phone open. And I would say, truly, if, if there is anybody that owns an existing business, I don't care if they're under contract, we are always open to starting dialogue. I don't care if they have two years left on a contract. There's never a moment where we're not open to that dialogue, right? Because you have to start somewhere. We're open to having that conversation, figuring out where somebody is, maybe giving them expectations of what that next deal might look like, right? And then we can put something on the calendar. When do we follow up? When, you know, when, when would you want to hear from us moving forward? If somebody's opening up a new business, right? I mean, it, it is, I'll say it's a very underserved market because in a normal scenario, if you have an account and we are working with you moving forward. We're going to pull your usage data, your history from in this, in, in our area, which would be Encore. And we're going to use your usage history as our negotiating tool to, for, for pricing, right? If you're a brand new business, you don't have any data. There's no history, right? And so a lot of times, if somebody doesn't have somebody like me fighting for them, again, they're going to pick up the phone. They're going to call, hey, I need power next Tuesday. And everybody will say, sure, we'd love to give you power next Tuesday. Here's the numbers we can offer you. And those numbers are going to be based on a broom closet, right? Because there's no data, right? They can't offer you something without justifying those numbers, right? It's just like if you, you know, in your world, uh, you're not a mortgage guy, but this is part of your 
part of your realm. If you have a 500 credit score, they don't qualify for the same interest rate as somebody with a 750, right? Yeah. And so with us, your usage is going to qualify you. If, if somebody's using a million kilowatts a year, they deserve better pricing, right? Than somebody that uses 50,000 kilowatts a year, right? But if we can't prove that somebody uses a certain kilowatt, you know, estimation with their lack of data, then they're going to get worst case scenario pricing. What we can do is if somebody has a new space, we're just trying to figure out, well, who are you, right? Are you big? Are you small? And then we're going to go and we're going to get data from maybe a customer that we do have that's comparable. And now we can use that data to negotiate on your behalf, right? So if somebody's an existing business, if somebody's opening up a new business, a new location, we big, small, it doesn't matter, right? We would love to help out. And if you need to look to find Noe and you couldn't remember what he said, go to our website, www.experienced with an ED, www.experiencedrealtor.com, myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on podcast, go down to Noe, click on read more, and it'll also give you a direct connection in there. We'll attach your, your LinkedIn connection as well. And thank you, brother, for coming. A wealth of knowledge. Thank you. I appreciate it. Sorry, man. I was getting hot. I know it's a little warm.